very subject matter that what's on my heart today, I think in the, um, the actual uh, educational system within the Christian community, I think it's called pneumonology. Pneuma is actually the Greek word for spirit. And you'll find that in the, it, the notice again very carefully, not the Hebrew word, but the, the, the Greek word. So in the New Testament. I've shared with you before several times. I want to go ahead and share one more time because I think it will help. Is that if you were trained in the King James English Bible like I am and many others, not all but some, um, you will see the word or the two words Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit spoken of. And there was a time in Pentecostalism that you would be reproved if you didn't say the baptism of the Holy Ghost. As if we, if we said ghost, there was somehow a measure of greater spiritual depth than if we said Holy Spirit. The reality is that in the original language, it is the same word. It is Holy Numa, the Holy Spirit, distinguishing the Holy Spirit from the spirit of a man or just spirit in general. So just for that sake, why would I even take time to say this? It's because Brother uh, Doyle, again, would be trained in King James English like myself, and he more often referred to the work of the Holy Spirit as the baptism in the Holy Ghost. A lot of people are uncomfortable with that because when they think of ghosts, they think of Casper, and they're traumatized by that moment as a child. But nonetheless, today we're talking about, we're talking about, as they say in theology, the third person of the Godhead. We're talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John said, in not his gospel but his epistle, there are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, or the Son, and the Holy Ghost, right? And then he said this, or Holy Spirit, and these three are one, right? And so the Spirit of the living God, as we begin to set our hearts to grow in the study, we recognize that this particular study of pneumonology tragically arrives at the place that so many other doctrines in the body of Christ does, and that is that we don't all agree. I find myself yesterday going to a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 where Paul addresses spiritual gifts very quickly in chapter number 1 in the 6th verse when he commended the Corinthians because they did not come behind in any gift, and that's charisma. And it was understood that that was the charismatic gifts that he would write later on in the 12th chapter. Now remember, chapters and verses weren't added at the time the apostles writing it. So he's just, but he's commending them initially. But then just four short verses later, the 10th verse, he's reproving them because there's division among them. Now that division was kind of related to who they would follow. He said some are saying, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow um, Apollo. Some say, well, I'm so holy, I only follow Jesus. And, and he was commending them, or he was reproving them for this. The point I'm making is, is, oh, what would happen in the body of Christ if we could somehow rally together and come to a common understanding of the power and the work and the grace of the Spirit of the living God. That we could somehow come together in unity as the Holy Spirit is revealed to us, as He's revealed in the Word of God. So in my journey of life, as I've looked at the work of the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures and tried to arrive at a place, and this is what we all do. We arrive at a place... Sometimes conclusively, sometimes with a little bit of questioning as it relates to doctrine. And sometimes it mirrors the doctrines of others. Exactly. But then oftentimes we find ourselves, well, we'll know what others believe. We'll know what others think. But then ours might differ just a little bit. Now, here's the reality concerning the work of the Holy Spirit. This is from my heart to yours. I don't believe that you can trace the doctrine to just one particular passage of Scripture. 
Pentecostalism has gained its notoriety because we believe in what took place in Acts chapter number 2, verse number 4, where it says that the Spirit of God came upon them and they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. The context was the day of Pentecost. But we can't narrow the work of the Holy Spirit just to those four verses. His work has been seen since the Genesis. His work in the lives of God's people and on the earth, by the second verse, and I started this series off by drawing your attention to this. In the second verse of the first chapter of the book of Genesis, when God had just created all things by His sovereign power, by His spoken word, and the world is hung on its axis, spinning in the creation, in the, in the midst of the universe, the Scripture says that the Spirit of God was seen hovering or moving on the face of the waters. So the point is, is that you'll find revelation related to the work of the Spirit of God in the Genesis and concluding all the way to the book of Revelation. Seven times the apostle John hears the Lord say to him, he that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So that's quite a breath from the Genesis all the way to the Revelation that God has been revealing himself and making himself known by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen? And with this, we know that the Holy Spirit, though, that became manifested what seems to be in greater detail through the, through the record of Luke in the book of Acts, the Spirit of God was moving upon people long before this, and we've noted this in days gone by. We've noted how that Old Testament prophets had an anointing. I believe it was maybe the second or maybe two weeks ago when I preached with the, for the ladies, when the ladies were here. I drew your attention to even David, the young David. Not when he was anointed king and he was ruling over ancient Israel, but when he was just a shepherd. He was fresh from the sheepfold when the prophet Samuel took a horn of oil and poured it over his head and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. But here's what the scripture says. And the Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. The Spirit of the living God. And then you can go and you can, you can search and see all kinds of things. You can see prophets and prophetesses that have anointings on their life. The Spirit of God is speaking to them, revealing things. They have dreams and visions, especially the prophetic utterance. You see prophetic utterances in the Old Covenant where men and women prophesy and they speak forth the Word of God. And sometimes you can even question the character. I'd like to say the Spirit of God only falls on holy, sanctified, set-apart vessels. But, man, I mentioned Saul earlier, and God did turn him into another man for just a little bit of time. But Saul, the, not Saul of Tarsus, but the Saul, the first king of Israel, he fell amongst the prophets, and he began to prophesy as the Spirit of God came upon him. And he certainly had his own struggles along his, uh, his time of leading the people of ancient Israel. So why am I saying all this? I'm saying all that to say that in the study of pneumonology, in this, when you begin to arrive, uh, con, you know, I want to say concretely on a particular uh, 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 doctrine in your heart and mind, be very careful that we don't just settle it in just one place. All the Scripture has to speak to us. All the Scripture, how He works, His grace, His goodness, His revelation. Certainly the greatest revelation of the work of the Spirit of God in the life of a believer was that upon Jesus himself. First of all, if you just take the very fact that he was conceived by the Holy Ghost, first of all. 
Come on, somebody. Remember what Mary, what the angel of the Lord told Mary? He said, when she said, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And she knew the normal, the normal creative uh, means. She was a virgin. She knew no man. She was not yet married. There was no means for an actual uh, man's seed to be in her womb to create life. And the, the angel of the Lord promised her that he said, the Spirit of God. I want you to think, the same Spirit that moved on the waters now will hover over your virginal womb and bring the life of the Son of God in your womb. <laughs> I'm telling you, it doesn't get more powerful than that, right? That's the power of the living Christ brought in by the power of the Holy Spirit. But certainly when we say, when we talk about ministry function, and sometimes we get caught in seeing the power of the Spirit only in ministry function. And I'm going to turn from that a little bit today in just a moment. But I am going to go there just very quickly. Because when Jesus was baptized, and that becomes a very important part as it relates to the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't forget that in a moment of time. When Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan, John, the, the baptizer, had received a prophetic word prior because the Lord had told him, this is how you're going to know when the one is that you've been preaching about is actually in front of you. The Lord had told him, he said, when you see the Spirit descending upon him, listen to this, and abiding upon him, he said, that's the one. And you and I know that upon his baptism, the baptism of Christ in the River Jordan, the Bible says the heavens were open and the Spirit of God in a bodily form or what looked like a dove came from heaven and lit upon Jesus or sat upon Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And during his ministry, Jesus displayed the power of God. And oftentimes we always just simply associate the Holy Spirit with dunamis or miracle working power. Dunamis is the Greek word there for power, the miracle power of God. Well, obviously it was manifested in the life of Jesus. Did you know Acts 10 and 38 says this, how that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good and he was healing all those that were oppressed of the devil. Jesus himself never accredited any of the miracles that he did to his own divine nature. He never performed a single miracle in which he said, the reason I have opened your blind eyes or unstopped your deaf ears or raised up your deceased loved one is because I am the Son of God. He said this. He said, the works that I do, I do them by the finger or the Spirit of God. He gave full credit to the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit that was upon him. And the Bible plainly says this of Jesus. It says this, that God did not give him the Spirit by measure. And this is where we have a little bit of challenge of understanding this. Because we have a doctrine concerning the Holy Spirit where we call him a person. He is the third person in the Godhead. And when you think of a person, we think, well, how can I have more of one, of one person? I can't have more of Sherry unless she gains weight. I guess then I have more of Sherry. <laughs> Sherry, be nice to me for making that statement. I'm just using It's just an analogy. It's just an analogy. I told you all that the first prayer that I pray is, Lord, forgive me. I know not what I have done. See, the Lord is blessing our sermon here today. The Lord is adding his favor to this message today. <laughs> I'm already in trouble. I just need the grace of God to help me. It's just an analogy. 
But with, I want you to think about that moment because the Bible plainly speaks us, us having the earnest of the Spirit. Now, I want you to think about it. The reason why I'm making that is because sometimes we get caught in this context that the Spirit of God is a person, so I've got the person of God, I've got all the God, but the Scripture says there's a limited measure of the Holy Spirit who's given into the life of a believer. But the Bible plainly says concerning His Son that the Bible that God gave the Spirit without measure to Him. So He had, he had unrestricted access to the power of God. That's why in the midst of a storm, he could just simply speak to it the way that you and I can speak to one another. Peace be still and boisterous winds rolling and destructive and waves crashing into the ship would instantly obey his word. Come on, somebody. Because the power of God, the anointing of the Spirit of God that was upon his life. And so, again, we, we struggle in trying to, uh, 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 you know, kind of relate to this because, again, uh, he's a person, but there's, is there more of him? Yes, there's, we receive him, but we can also, seems what, we can receive more of him or we can grow in this or there's a, 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 from glory to glory, a work of the Holy Spirit in our heart and lives. So we have Christ here anointed of the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we know of some of Jesus' teachings related to the Holy Spirit. Jesus taught especially in the Gospel of John about the work of the Holy Spirit, and he used a very unique word to, uh, to speak about the Holy Spirit. I think in the original language of Greek, I think it's paraclete. It's translated in the King James Bible as comforter. And then why am I bringing this up to you again today? Because once again, when we think of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Pentecostal realm, for whatever reason, we always go so quickly to Acts chapter number 1. So we're gonna, I'm going to mention it, but I'm going to not let go of Jesus' teaching in John 14, 15, and 16 very quickly. Because in that particular teaching, it's not contrasting, it's complementary. But in Acts 1, Jesus speaks about you shall be endued with power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So then you and I get this aggressive pursuit and we begin to long for the power of God to come upon us. And we should because all of us want to be used by the Lord. We do. But the greatest promise of the work of the Holy Spirit is Jesus said this to you. He said, it is expedient for you that I go away. He said, because if I don't go away, then the comforter, the paraclete, will not come. He said, but if I go away, I will pray to the Father. And he will send the Spirit. Listen to this. And here's what he said. And he will not only abide with you, but then he said this, that he will abide in you. And that's a little bit of a contrast from what we see happening with David. Remember, go back to what I mentioned about David. The Spirit of God came upon David from that day forward. But what we're talking about now, Jesus said it won't just be that the Spirit of God will come upon you. You'll be anointed to do service or miracles or whatever you're called to do. Whether you, We may not be all called to do miracles, but we're called to do service. But the great promise of the work of the Spirit of God is that He will dwell inside of you. Come on, somebody. That in essence, let me say this to you. God's Spirit will join with your spirit and declare, Romans chapter number 8, and declare you to be a child of God. Now, Jesus, in his teaching, now, obviously, the work of the Spirit of God confounded those that had never seen anything like that, and you and I, too. If we walked with Jesus, we would walk around with our mouth open, catching flies, because we would gape at what we just saw. Let's just be honest. I mean, we're talking about dead people coming out of graves, 
We're talking about just, I mean, a, a woman with an issue of blood for 12 years that could not be healed just touched the hem of his garment. He didn't spit in the clay and, or dirt and make clay. He is shy, he, she just caught hold of his garment, and instantly 12-year fountain was dry. You and I would walk around like, oh, my gosh, the crippled limbs, the blind eyes. We would stand in stark amazement right at the power of God in Jesus' life. But there was a teaching that he taught that caught the attention that was, I mean, it confused people. We get the privilege of looking back and we have a little bit greater understanding. So he was speaking to a man by the name of Nicodemus, one of the most famous passages in all the Word of God in John chapter number 3. Nicodemus was a leader in the Sanhedrin, the ruling council of the Jews in the time of Christ. Jesus made a statement that perplexed Nicodemus, and Jesus then even asked him and said, you're a leader in Israel and you don't know these things? And he said this, He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again, King James English. Some translate it born uh, from above. You must be born again. And Nicodemus, he thought on that. And he came back and he rebuttaled Jesus. And he said, how? I'm an old man. My mom, I'm adding to it. He didn't say it exactly like this. But he said, I'm an old man. And he said, how can I enter in the second time to my mother's womb and be born again? And then Jesus brought some clarity to it. He said, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And I know that Nicodemus didn't fully grasp it. But Jesus was promising something that would happen in the life of an individual at a time that would be forthcoming. That an individual could be born from above by the power of the Holy Spirit. In essence, reborn in communion and fellowship with God. Now, that's something to shout about right there. That's the power of the gospel. Actually, tied to that work of the Holy Spirit is this right here. Not dunamis, not power, not your shadow healing people, not even speaking in other tongues or prophesying or any spiritual manifestation. Tied to the promise of born again is the inheritance that we have in Christ. What do you mean by that is the Holy Spirit is called the earnest of our inheritance. Anybody that's ever purchased a home knows that when you got ready to make that transaction, you put earnest money down, right? I remember when I wrote my first, when we bought our home in um, Fairfield Bay, I've told you this before, I wrote a $1,000 check with about $10 in the bank. And I said, you better not cash that. You better keep it. I think I have enough in the savings account, but not much. So you be- don't deposit that unless if you just hold it. It was an earnest down money. And so, but for the Spirit of God, how many of you know in the life that is yet to be lived, we're not going to live in the flesh. We're going to live in the Spirit, right? In this life, life is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But in the world to come, the life is in the spirit. The spirit, the the life of God, the pneuma of God, the breath of God that can transcend nature. Come on, somebody. That's different from this carnal life. So tied, listen to this, to being born again is the promise of the spirit. What is that? Is that when you are born again, the eternal life of God now abides on the inside of you. Now, let me go ahead and develop that because that was a weak amen. Now, one day, there's going to be change that's worked in us. 
Meaning like if we were alive, if we're alive at the return of Christ, how many know we'll be immediately changed? Right, supernaturally by the power of God. This corruption shall put on incorruption. This mortal shall put on more immortality, right? But I want you to know today, I'm alive to God right now. Right now, I'm talking about by the power of the Holy Spirit, the earnest of my inheritance is the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And that is, when I was born again, He deposited in me a measure of the Holy Spirit. It didn't change everything about me. My flesh will still die. It's still graying. It's still aging. But my spirit has been born from above. Glory to God. That's why Paul would write and say the outer man perishes. But the inward man is renewed day by day. The eternal life of God. That's why we as believers, we have a hope related to death that the world doesn't understand. That's why we can go to our funeral services and we can grieve and we can sorrow for the loss of our loved one. But we will say this confidently, but I will see them again. Glory to God. There will be a great reunion day in the eternal kingdom of God. Why do we have this hope? It's because we have a measure of it inside us right now and it testifies to us, doesn't it? It testifies to us that we've been born again and we have the eternal life of God that's on the inside of us. And we celebrate this before the Lord. Right? We should celebrate this before the Lord. Amen? It's the greatest gift. And from that, the Scripture says that Christ then promised that as the Spirit of God comes into the heart of a believer and causes you to be born again, born from above, that you now can commune or have fellowship with the Father. Now, oh my goodness, that was a weak amen. I only got a mm-hmm out of that. I'm telling you, the power of the Spirit of God working in the life of a believer, first and foremost, is to bring you into communion and fellowship with the Father. That I can know Him. Right, The prayer of Ephesians, that, not can, that I can just know his power, not that I can just know his dunamis, but that I can know him and fellowship with him. And Jesus himself spoke of that when the Spirit of God has come, he will reveal the Father to you. So I have a comforter that, I, that dwells inside of me. And you and I, if you're born again, you have that same comforter, right? He's my counselor. He's with me all. Jesus said... He said that I will not leave you orphanless. I will come to you. Come on, somebody. And I will dwell in you and abide with you forever. How does he do so? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when you think about this, then, again, here's where the question mark begins to come as it relates to this thing called pneumonology. Some of that comes to us from the difference of the writings that we see even commencing in the book of Acts. Because now we have a twofold thought that begins to emerge in our mind. And that is we have being born of the Spirit, which is what I'm mentioning now and I'm still not finished with. But then we get this notion being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then we say, but where does that notion come from? And, and, and is it one and the same? This is where, again, there's division in the body. Division in the body. Some say being baptized in the Spirit is the same as being baptized into Christ. And it is when you're being born again. Others of us, like our doctrine is, is we see this as a second or a subsequent work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. 
And we base it upon a couple of things. And so I'm going to kind of lean into it from that direction for just a moment. Because there's still some things that I feel like that needs to be said about this. Because I think it will make you a little bit more of a well-rounded believer. Especially especially if you have yet to receive this experience that we're encouraging people to seek for. And that's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we have something here concerning the work of the Holy Spirit that seems to have been limited in what we call the old dispensation, the old covenant, and that is being born again. Doesn't seem like if you could be born again prior to Jesus' blood on the cross, then why did Jesus have to die? If I could have eternal life, communion with the Father, uh, because the blood of a lamb or a bullock or a goat applied to the temple's uh, altar, and I could receive the Holy Spirit, then why did Jesus have to become flesh and die on the tree in my stead? But we know enough of the sacred writings to know that the blood of a bullock was not satisfactory to God to alleviate the sin debt of Adam, right? But only the precious blood of Christ, the atoning blood of Jesus, amen? So we find it is our belief then that this work of being born again would commence after Jesus' resurrection. And some look to the experience of Acts 1 or 2 for that moment, especially in Acts number 2 when the Bible says the Spirit of God came in, filled the house wherein they were sitting, appeared unto them cloven tongues as a fire. But there's an overlooked oftentimes passage. Some see it, many see it actually to be honest. And it comes to us in John's gospel. And it's following Jesus' resurrection. Following Jesus' resurrection, listen to this. He appears, after he appeared to the women at the tomb, he tells, them to, he tells the women to tell my sir, or disciples, I'll meet them in Galilee. And when he, they're in Galilee, the Bible says that he appears to them. And when, when he appears to them, he does something to them. Here's what it does. The Bible says through John's pen, he breathes on them. And says, receive the Spirit of God. Now, here's something uh, interesting about that passage of Scripture. That word breathed upon there in what's known to scholars, I think if I could pronounce it, because that means that reveals. When I have to say, I think I can pronounce it, that shows you I'm not a scholar. But it's the Septuagint. Septuagint is an actual translation of of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek that some believe that the first century church used, and we know that to be true because Paul quotes it uh, on multiple occasions in his epistles. But what they tell us then is when that passage in the Septuagint is this, is that when it uses the word in the Greek uh, that it, it says that we're breathed upon, it's the same word that is mentioned in the Genesis and Genesis chapter number 2, but it's the Greek form of that Hebrew word where it says that God breathed upon Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Now, if that's the case, why am I bringing this up? What it's telling me is this. If we're going back to what happened when Adam died in the garden, what happened? Did he die physically? No. But the life of God seems to have left him. The Spirit of God, the eternal life of communion and fellowship with God seems to have been removed. But when a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, it seems as if God once again breathes into us 
and we are born again, born from above, and the life of God reenters us. Come on, somebody. And I then have communion and fellowship with God, not just in the natural, not just in my soulish realm, not just in my mind, will, and emotions. I don't just follow God from afar. I don't just see Him in creation. I walked out yesterday afternoon for prayer in our little field out behind our house, and the sunset was so beautiful. I marveled at the creative power of God, but I don't restrict my communion and fellowship with God through creation because creation sometimes is beautiful, but sometimes it's violent. But I want you to know my communion with God comes because of the power of the Holy Spirit. He sent His Spirit into my heart. And the first thing that it did inside of me was speak, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God inside of you joined to your spirit and declared you to be a child of the Most High God. And you now have communion and you now have fellowship with the Father by the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow, what a powerful work of the Spirit of God. And we ought to still be excited about that equally or even more so than even if one speaks in other tongues or receives what we call the baptism. It's still the greatest work of the Holy Spirit. Come on now, amen. It is still the greatest work of the Holy Spirit that I can have communion and fellowship with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. So it seems to us then as if Jesus' breath And he's called in 1 Corinthians 15 a life-giving spirit, right? Uh, Adam was called a living soul. Jesus is called a life-giving spirit. But then Jesus made this statement to his disciples. Even to the very end. I mean, I'm talking about what I mean by the very end. I'm talking about at the end of the 40 days of his appearances where he's teaching them things related to the kingdom of God. And uh, and I didn't even bring my, my clock up here, so I don't know. I have to be very careful. I don't want to go too long here today. But I, I got to finish this thought for just a few moments here, if I might. Uh, as, as, as he's related to him, he said this. He said, he said now, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they were questioning what that meant. And Jesus said, listen, he said, you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Amen. Everybody's familiar with that. It's Acts 1 and 4 and 5 and Acts 1 and 8. It was a promise that he made of this supernatural work of God. And so what's happened within the Pentecostal movement, we have developed a doctrine that's called the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I've been preaching about it in days gone by, and I believe in it. But I am going to bring up to you just a little bit of the oddity that's related to it. Is that this phrase, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, only appears two times in Scripture. It's, 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 it appears the first in Acts 1 that I just mentioned. It only appears again in Acts chapter number 11 when the apostle Peter is recounting to the Jews in Jerusalem what's happened. Or maybe not in Jerusalem, but he's recounting to the Jews or the church or his own brethren when he went into the home of a Gentile. When he, this is, that happened in Acts chapter number 10. Because did you know, if you'll study the book of Acts, you'll know that the the Jews were hesitant. Those first century believers were very hesitant to take the gospel to the Gentiles. They didn't really understand what you and I know today, that the blood that was shed on that tree wasn't just for the lost Hebrew brother, right? It was for all, right? That we could all call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, amen? But they're struggling to understand this, so Peter ends up, because the Spirit of the Lord directs him to go to the home of a man by the name of Cornelius, And while he's there, he's preaching, 
And before he can give an altar call, before he can bring anybody forward, before he can lay hands on anybody, the Bible plainly says the Holy Spirit fell on them, and many of them began to speak with other tongues and prophesy to the degree that it was a confirming moment in Peter and the other Jews that were with him that, wait a minute, God's given them the same gift that he gave to us. And so then they go and baptize in water those that have received the Spirit. So what about this phrase, baptize in Spirit? Well, it appears again the next chapter over when he's explaining what happened. Because when Peter gets back, people want to know, he went into the house of a Gentile. He's unclean, unclean, unclean. And Peter said, let me tell you what happened. I was having a dream, the trance. The Lord told me to go to this house. I went to this house. Whole families gathered there. Families gathered around. And he said, I started preaching Jesus and him on the main line. Glory to God. And the Spirit of God fell. And all of a sudden, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we knew that God baptized. And I said, what is this? And he said, the Lord reminded me that you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's the only other time that that phrase is used is in Acts 1 and in Acts 11. And, so the time, and yet you and I use it so openly that if, I'm not, if we're not careful, I think we'll misplace it somewhere along the line. And, and, and I don't want to because I believe in spirit baptism. But the point that I'm about to make here in just a moment is, is that as you study this, this, the experience, you have to say, wait a minute, okay, I've got Jesus' ministry, I've got his experience with the Holy Spirit, and I've got his teaching on the Holy Spirit. Then now I've got a bridge. I've got the book of Acts. I've got Luke, who is a, a narrator. He's an historian, and some do call him a theologian. He's a partner with Paul in his traveling ministry, and he's writing about the events that take place. But then I come to the epistles, primarily the epistles of Paul, and I look and I search for teaching related to the work of the Holy Spirit. And if there's anything I know about God, they're not going to contradict one another. They're going to complement one another. But we have to look at them and search for them. And so the Apostle Paul, who writes in, concerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, as you and I often almost always exclusively think about the baptism in the Holy Spirit with speaking in other tongues, Paul himself said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. But the same apostle never writes in any of his epistles that you are to pray and seek for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of odd. So what we have to do is then we say, okay, we got to make up our own mind and say, wait a minute. So I can't be just totally Pauline, and I can't just be totally gospel, and I can't just be totally book of Acts. I've got to be all the above. It's got to be complementary to one or the other. Paul didn't say that seek ye earnestly the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but he did say this, Ephesians 5 and 18. He said, don't be drunk with wine. We're in his excess but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here's where I want to bring you to this thought for just a moment of time. Related to the baptism in the Holy Spirit, we often in the Pentecostal movement, we still look for it to happen somehow, some way that's akin to what took place in the upper room. We want something that happens out here to come rushing in here. Am I being honest? That's just kind of where we're trying. And, and why do we do that? It was because some of the wording of Scripture speaks about the Holy Spirit fell, the Holy Spirit came upon, this, that, or the other. 
Well, then we've got, wait a minute though, wait just a minute, let's go back to this doctrine. If he is a person, when did I actually receive the Holy Spirit? Did I receive it as spirit baptism? Did I receive the Holy Spirit? Or did I receive the Holy Spirit when I was born again? Well, if I'm going to read one verse of Scripture to you, I'm going to do that today. In the book of Ephesians, I think, I'll use that verse of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter number 1. And it's in verse number 13 that I'm going to read. Where Paul says this, In whom ye, being plural, also trusted, being of Christ. We trusted in Christ. Jay, throw me my phone up here so I can be aware of the time real quickly. Whoa. All right, we're doing pretty good in here. Y'all stay with me for just a minute. In whom you also trusted. Listen to this. Read it slowly. That after you heard the word of truth. Jace mentioned it earlier. The gospel. The simple gospel. He said, when you heard the word of truth, which was the gospel of your salvation, in whom... Also, after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Now, so then the question, when did that sealing take place? Did it happen simultaneously at the time of our baptism? Did we profess faith in Christ and believe upon the Lord? But for some people, there's been many years since the time they were born again and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are we saying to that individual that they didn't receive the Holy Spirit until they shot Mosid? We're not saying that. What we're saying to you is that this is what I believe the, accum- uh, the cumulative, if you will, the cumulative doctrine folded together, folded in, layered upon layer is this. Is that again, when you put your faith Say, what do you mean put my faith? I'm talking about the gift that God gave every one of us is the capacity to believe. The ability to believe it. When you heard the word of truth, when somebody came on, remember what Romans said? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach glad tidings of good news. Right? So when somebody came along and told you you are a wicked sinner in the eyes of God, how many know that's good news? Because if you didn't know that, you would never feel the need to repent. But somebody came along and said, you were lost and undone and away from God, but God's made a way for you to have fellowship with the Father. He sent His Son to die as the atoning sacrifice for your sin. His blood was shed on the tree, and if you will use the ability that God gave every man and every woman, the capacity to believe, right, then you can be saved. Isn't that what the Bible says? The Bible says in Romans chapter number 10 that you believe in your heart, And you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you are saved. Well, what happens upon that salvation? What happens? It is our belief that based upon your profession of faith, in that moment of time, God breathes on you the Holy Spirit and you are born again. Born from above. Born by the power of Almighty God. Come on, somebody. Illuminated in the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Titus, you are washed by the Holy Ghost and made regenerate by the power of the Holy Spirit. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, but now you are alive unto God. You have communion and fellowship with the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. I can know Him through His Spirit. And so, 
when we teach you then that you should be filled with the Spirit, is it that the Spirit has to come upon you or is it, I know that is the wording of the book of Luke, but that's not the only wording, not the book of Luke, but the book of Acts, but that's not the only wording we look at. We look through the greater lens of all the Scripture and it, when the Spirit of God fills you, let me just tell you this, that inside of you is a fountain waiting to explode. Inside of you is a river of living water that can begin to flow out of you. And when you begin to put your faith in God and say, Father, I see in the Word of God that I'm not to be drunk with any type of physical stimulant, but that I am to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is my belief that out of your own belly shall flow a river of living water. And I know it may be to a degree that it was from the external to the internal, but I actually believe it's more like this. It's from the internal outwardly that you are filled unto overflowing, that that which inside of of you, the measure of the Spirit of God bubbles up on the inside of you, and you are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's what am I saying? Why, am I, why would I even say that it's not as far from you as what you might think? That's why, if I could say anything to you on that, it's not as far from you. He's been there with you all along. Come on, if you're born again, He's been with you all along. It's not that you were born again and God's going to send another Spirit. Right? It's a work of the Spirit that's already in you. Right? Leading you into a fuller experience. And with that can come the power that Jesus spoke of. The dunamis, the unction, the anointing. You learn to grow in it, don't you? All of us, we learn to grow. And that's why I think the writer said in, uh, what is it, Jude verse number 20. He said, build up your most holy faith. Build it up by praying in the Holy Spirit. When you pray through divine unction and anointing and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, it builds up your most holy faith. So we come to this point real quickly here as I get ready to close today because I probably could go on and on with this. And I think I'm covering the majority of which what was in my heart to bring to you today is this right here. It is that I don't think it's one without the other. I think it's both. I think I, I don't want to be the people that so emphasize being born again that we don't teach people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to be the person that totally teaches people on being baptized with the Holy Spirit and not validate the people who are already born again but have not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The thing I don't want people is, this is a pastor's heart. We kind of talked a little bit about this Wednesday night. An evangelist can minister and we can celebrate the six, the seven, the eight that receive what we believe is the true baptism in the Holy Spirit evidenced by speaking to other tongues. We believe that's Pentecostal doctrine. I believe in it. I do believe in it. It's a, something that was proven in my own heart and life. Not everybody does. Remember, we're divided on this, right, aren't we? The body of Christ, even within Pentecostalism, is sometimes divided on this. So we can, and I want you to know today, I celebrate with every person that prayed last week on Sunday morning or Sunday night or this Friday, whenever it was, uh, that was told to me this morning. And someone said, we were praying, and I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I spoke with other tongues. I celebrate with that person, right? But here's what we put on Facebook. 
We put the people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit. But we don't include those that came forward and prayed and didn't receive. And sometimes that person gets dejected. And if you're not careful, they get downcast, disheartened. And sometimes they even arrive at the place where they stop pursuing. And that's where our responsibility is to come alongside of people and encourage them. And I can't just encourage you to keep seeking first. That's not the starting point. The starting point is to validate the work of the Spirit that's already in your life. It's not to always leave you in this gray area of longing for something that you have yet seen or yet tasted or yet spoken. But how about that I value and teach you that the power of the Spirit is already on the inside of you. The greatest miracle of God that could ever be in your life has already took place. His Spirit joined with your lifeless spirit and gave you eternal life. And the comforter, the counselor, the mediator, the intercessor is on the inside of you even now. He dwells in you. Come on, somebody. He dwells in you, and that should be celebrated. And I believe that in your own journey with the living Christ, that the natural progression is to encourage you to desire the, what we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit, but to not feel belittled or diminished in any capacity. Now, I want to say this. The church world, we don't diminish people on purpose. And we don't go to anybody and make people feel less of a Christian if they don't have what we call a Pentecostal experience, do we? Some do. Some do. There's entire denominations that do, but we don't. But we do it by accident. Kind of like the family. I, I, I didn't mean to do this one time. I did this, and I only realized it later that I did this so my, we were at my uh, we were at a family reunion, a slight family reunion here in Heber Springs with uh, my uncle Lee, and I think I had all three of my sons there with me that particular day, and for whatever reason, the only one I had stand up was Aaron, because Aaron was head and shoulders above everybody else, and I said, Uncle Lee, look at Aaron, right here, and in doing so, the other boys are pretty tall themselves they're all over six foot they've all passed me and I thought about that later and I felt reproof in my heart because I'm like look at Aaron look at he's way up here and then I didn't even mention these other two pretty strong handsome guys that were on the table that were sitting around the table that I love dearly if I'm not if we're not careful we're going to validate and we're going to lift up and we're going to say man all you you oh my gosh and we'll leave all the other people sitting at the table saying what about me what about me? I don't want that. I want you to know I value where you're at. I value. I'm telling you, you're born again. You're my brother and sister in Christ. We are unified. And that journey that you're on, we were on that same journey as well. We were on that same journey. We were born again, and we were seeking something. I can't answer every question related to the baptism. We're going to do our best. We've got theological minds that will be out on the table on Wednesday night, and we'll share our very best and, and, and do everything that we can to express you. We can't answer all your questions about especially the question of why. 
I don't know why somebody seeks and seeks and seeks and they just haven't got their breakthrough. I, I can't give you the answer to that. And me and JoJo agreed, my best theology is this. And then Joe, sometimes it's just like this. I can't give you the answer, but I can just tell you this. The scripture says, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to, ask that, to those who ask him? So never stop arriving at that place in your life where you say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, I long for the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the great things that I will say this that I really appreciated about Brother Doyle Jones and his ministry last week when he was praying for people personally. He brought people to this point of expectation. The expectation was is that if the Spirit of God rises within you, you will speak with other tongues. But you cannot speak in English and speak in tongues at the same time. But there has to come a moment when you have to stop praying in your native language and then pray in the spirit that God gives you. And Paul said, I will pray in the spirit. I believe that when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you will pray in the spirit. I do believe that. And I want to encourage you in that pursuit after God. But let me say this to you. Don't wait for Shatakaya Mosia to get urgent in your prayer before God. I'll tell you what, you can pray in the power of the Holy Spirit in your known language. Now, it's not the same in context as praying in the Spirit. What I mean by that is I've prayed many a prayer in my known native language that I know was filled with the power of unction and the power of the anointing of God in my life. And I want to say this, I think you'll have a greater moment of expectation in your heart and life. It's almost like when you max out your limitation. Sometimes we don't even max out where we're at. And we're wanting more. Are you out there today? We're not even doing anything with what he's done in us at times. And we're wanting more. How about we just start functioning and send God. And then as that stirring gets on the inside of us, an urgency gets created within us. And then we pray. And I just believe God will fill his children. It's the will of God. I do believe this. <laughs> I love how Jesus phrased it. Let me do this as I close. He said, if you, being evil, isn't that something? <laughs> That'll get you elected in a lot of churches, won't it? If you, evil people. <laughs> but, but think about that. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So I began, as I close here today, I began to try to put this in perspective for myself. Sometimes perspective is important, isn't it? But sometimes you can't reach it. I try to. Perspective helps me at times because it takes me out of the picture. And it just kind of drops me back and says, okay. Just like with rain, finally yesterday, I finally said, if it doesn't rain, it doesn't matter. It's going to eventually rain. That was a perspective I finally obtained. <laughs> Now, that doesn't mean anything to y'all, but it, for me, it was a big deal because I was, I was pouting. <laughs> I was under my juniper tree, and I was pouting because of not having received it. Perspective. Perspective helped me. So, so I took the book of Acts, and I know I've got, we've got five recorded instances of, um, of, of where people, what we call, received the Holy Spirit. But I said, but wait a minute, I want to see when people receive Christ and see what the, what the is, was there a pattern, was there a pattern 
from, go, from actually professing faith in Christ. And, and I found, as I was studying through the book of Acts there, because l- l- let me give you an example. Acts 19 is a real unique one. Acts 19 is when Paul was at Ephesus, and he found certain disciples. That's all it says, certain disciples. And he asked them that famous question, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Their response, we've not yet even heard that there be a Holy Spirit. He said, well, then were you baptized according to John's baptism? He said, well, John baptized according this way, but Jesus came. So he baptized them in water, and he prayed for them. After that, they may still be wet, coming up out of the water, still wet. And Paul the apostle lays hands on them, and the Bible says the Spirit of God comes upon them, and they speak with tongues and prophesy. So then I went to the other places. What about when he was at Corinth? That was when he was at Ephesus. There were people that said, and the Lord opened this heart. Well, let me even give you another one. How about Acts chapter 16? We have two records there, people that got saved. More than one person, but two are noted. Lydia, the seller of purple, right? The Bible says she heard the thing spoken about Paul. Her heart was opened, and she was water baptized. But there's no record that Paul laid hands on her to receive the Holy Spirit. Then later, later when Paul's in the Philippian jail, are you out there? When Paul was in the Philippian jail, remember what happened when the Philippian jailer discovered that they had not, the prisoners had not escaped when the walls shook? Y'all remember that? And so just real quickly, he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved and your household. And that night, he took him, and he was water baptized, but there's no record that Paul laid hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit. So what can we do? We may conclude, and I think I do, I conclude that the pattern of Acts 19 was probably the Apostle Paul's pattern. And that is when somebody professed faith in Christ, then they would lay hands on them and pray for them, typically following water baptism to receive the Holy Spirit. Are you out there? In the baptism. But the reality is this. I'm closing. Caleb is joining me on the platform. We appreciate Caleb, don't we? Here's the concluding thought for me in this context for a moment of time. I had multiple passages of people, whether it was at Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth. I saw them profess faith in Christ, but I don't see the same record of what took place in Acts 19. So I presume that the pattern was the same. That if they professed faith in Christ, they were water baptized, they would have been, had hands laid upon them, and they would have prayed for them to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their heart and life. And I want you to know today, I don't think there's anything at all wrong with that pattern. And our job then, you say, Pastor, man, I've already had hands laid upon me. People have prayed for me. Encourage me. My job then is to encourage you. Come on, somebody, to encourage you. First, number one, to validate your faith in God, the power of the Spirit in your heart and life. Validate it. But I don't want you to feel limited that you can't seek the Lord for more. Come on now, for more, and say, Lord God. So the point is, there's a lot of different phrases describing the work of the Holy Spirit. I guess I'm going to close the sermon with this. I don't think the subject of pneumonology 
spirit working in the life of a believer can be limited to only to the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus, or only to the book of Acts, or only to the epistles, whether it be Paul or John who write and speak of the Holy Spirit, I think it has to all be folded together. I think you have to fold it together and know that there was a progression. Some of it was a progression of revelation in their eyes. They were shocked the first time a Gentile got saved. They were shocked that when the biracial Samaritans got saved. Come on. They're learning like we are. And so the point for me is to, to here today, I don't want anybody that's truly born again seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit like this. I want you to be confident that the Spirit of God has already been sent to your heart. You receive the Holy Spirit upon your conversion, right? We may say it differently. We may say, well, the Spirit fell upon this one or six were baptized in the Holy Spirit. You are born by the Spirit. The Spirit dwells with you, dwells in you, right? Just believe that God will fill you. God will fill you unto overflowing. Isn't that right today, church family? The, the, the more, the less of you and the more of Him. That's what can happen to you. The more of you that gets out of the way, the more of Him. It will overflow from within. Come on, somebody. That's the power of His Holy Spirit. That's why Paul said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Whether it happens here at this church, we have to accept and say that doesn't matter anything to us in the sense of we will not limit God's work in your life to just the few minutes that you give the church to pray with you after service. It can be at Sister Pat Westerman's house, can it? It can be at you driving down the road, just wherever, as you're growing in the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and let Him fill you into overflowing. Seek it. Seek for it. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Let's pray today. Let's ask the Lord. I know some of you said, Pastor Brown just dumped water out on the carpet. It's because we will soon replace this carpet or I would not have done that. And I don't think it will stain. But if it does, we'll always remember it was right there <laughs> that I made a, a, some type of sermon teaching point. Yes, overflowing deposit in the carpet. Yes. God is good, church family. My heart is gentle towards yours today as a pastor. I don't want anybody to misinterpret that I don't have a fervor or a desire for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I do. But I also, as a shepherd, think about everybody in their journey where they're at. And I don't want people being... I know how the I know what self condemnation is, don't you? I know I know what it's like, and I know what it's like when I don't feel like I measure up. If I and and and, and I see people testifying, man, I, I got the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and I'm like, oh my, I, I, 
I'm almost tired of praying about it because I hadn't got it yet. I don't want that to be you. I wanted to first come to you today and to validate that if you're born again, man, what a gift from God. <laughs> what a gift from God. As a matter of fact, I have to stop right there. I can't go any further. I can't go any farther. And this sermon today, as heads are bowed and we're praying in the Lord's presence for just a moment, and that is you may not be born again. And if you're not born again, you don't know the Father. You know about God. People on the street know about God. But you don't know Him. Come on now. You don't know Him. I've got to give an opportunity. I want to give you. Now let me say I've got to. I want to give you that opportunity. Would you like to be saved today? Would you like to be born again? Would you like to use the gift of faith that God has given you to put your faith and trust in Christ, knowing that God will give you his comforter, the work of the Holy Spirit will come into you and declare you to be a child of God, and he will dwell in you? If that's you today, Pastor Brown will pray with you today. I'll pray with you. You'll have to pray with me. I can't do it for you. Nobody can, but I will pray with you. Young person, that might be you. Is there anybody under the sound of my voice today that just says, Pastor Brown, please pray with me. Please pray with me today that I would make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. The Lord of my life. The Lord of my life. That I would, put, I, I would be born again. If there's anyone, young person, I'm waiting on you. Senior adults, some of the senior adults have been receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. There might be a senior adult among us that has not received Christ. Are you here today, sir? Are you here today, ma'am? And you say, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus today. Is that you? Can I wait for just a moment? Is there anyone today? I'm just waiting. I'm not trying to push. I'm not trying to keep it too long. But God forbid that I hurry past this moment. Wouldn't that be a shame? If I said all that and brought people right to the precipice of salvation and didn't give them an opportunity to receive Christ. That's what we say. Whether it's right or wrong, we say it that way to receive Christ. Is there anyone today? Anyone at all? Anyone at all? Secondly today. Secondly today. Is there anybody here in the sound of my voice that just be honest, a transparent moment. Because I'm going to bring the church family down to the front for just a closing prayer in just a moment of time. But this is a pastoral moment for me today to you that says, Pastor Brown, you know, I appreciate you sharing this message because I believe and I'm believing for, but I haven't received and I've dealt with some of the guilt or the, not guilt, that's the wrong word, but I dealt, I've dealt with that condemnation and that grief and sometimes even that sorrow and that disappointment. Pastor, just remember me in prayer that I'll stay fervent, that I'll value where the, what the Spirit's done in my life already and I'll keep Believing until I receive all that he has for me. If that's you, slip your hand up today so I can see. See that hand there, that hand, anyone else? Several hands going up. People being honest, just honest today. I see that. Thank you so much. That's why I, I'm grateful to be your pastor. I'm grateful to say, listen, I, I love you, and I'm on that journey with you today. I want to ask everybody for just a moment of time, can we do something collectively? Would y'all come forward as a church family? For, for just, I, I don't want to fail to honor Brother Doyle. Brother Doyle said, man, call people to the altar. Call people 